is always special. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. And I know that we all come to this day, um, some of us with heavy hearts even. I know some of us in Crosswalk Community have lost mothers this in the last several months. And I'm certainly praying for you. You know, I read a story this week about a, um, a man who was going out of town uh, boarding a plane, and as he was walking past the cockpit, do you look and see who's in the cockpit when you walk past? I do. And he did, and there was a woman as head of the crew in this particular uh, cockpit. And so he went on, took his, his seat, and behind him there were three people. There was a little boy who was about, you know, six or seven years old, and there was a man who looked to be maybe uh, in his 30s, maybe early 40s, and And there was a woman, an older woman, could be that man's mother, he thought. And as he sat down, he he couldn't help but overhear what was going on behind him. And it was obvious that what they were talking about was the little boy's mother, uh, the man's wife, and the woman's daughter. And she was about to take her very first flight as the captain. And all of a sudden, the plane starts taxiing down the runway, and then it lifts off, and the wheels come up, and it starts banking to the south. And all of a sudden, the little six-year-old couldn't contain himself, and he just starts clapping. Way to go, Mom! Way to go! I want us to know that today is really about way to go, Mom. Way to go. We applaud you. I also want to say that this is the day that we're continuing our sermon series on the 12 steps, and we're at step four and five. Do you know what that means? You know, 12 steppers will say that steps four and five are really two of the hardest because you're having to do that personal inventory. You're having to be introspective about who you are and what's going on, and and you have to confess that to God and to another. Step four is this. Make a searching and thorough inventory of yourself. And the purpose of this searching and fearless moral inventory is to sort through the confusion and the contradiction of our lives so that we can find out who we really are. You know, one of the things I've come to be more and more committed to Two, as we've gone through this sermon series so far, is that I think all of us are dealing with some kind of addiction and all of us are in need of recovery. It's really basic Christianity one-on-one if you really think about it. I don't know of anything um, more than the 12 steps that gets us into what Christianity is all about. I don't know anything that does it any better. And when we don't get in touch with these things that we carry or this baggage that we carry, then then we, we really do start keeping ourselves from really growing because we can't get rid of the stuff. And step five, admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of your wrongs. Now, some people may seek an easier or a softer way of doing more of a general confession or maybe one to God alone. But the fifth step is 
quite pointed. You start with God. You've got to confess to yourself too. But there's another important part of this step. And that is you have to tell somebody else with flesh and blood. And then there's something about this kind of identifying those failures and naming those failures and naming them with another that brings about healing. Or as 12-steppers say, serenity. Now James got this. You know the guy who wrote the epistle toward the end of the Bible. And in the last chapter of the epistle of James, the fifth chapter... James says this in verses 13 through 16. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them Pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. You know, there's nearly a correlation between that sin-sick soul and that need for healing. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteousness, the righteous is powerful and effective. And who among us can call ourselves righteous? Who can be righteous on our own merits or, on, or by our own works? None of us. We can only be righteous by the grace of God who gives us that forgiveness and that healing through our confession and admitting that we can't do it on our own. Now you have to kind of be of a certain age to enjoy what I'm about to do, but I want to introduce some of you to Norman Rockwell. I hope a lot of you know who I'm talking about, right? Well, I can appreciate it. I'm about to turn a big birthday next Sunday. I mean a big one. I don't mean a, I mean a big one. Somebody told me last week that 60 is really the new 45, right? I said, not if you're a United Methodist pastor. It's the new 95. You don't know anything. You're over the, way over the hill. But in 1916, Norman... Rockwell, he painted 300 different um, covers for the Saturday Evening Post. And these, of course, are classic Americana art, right? They, they depict childhood adventures. You remember the swimming hole? I love that one. It reminds me, really, of growing up. Um, and, and other kinds of, of, of really kind of fun and kind of sentimental portraits. But he also got into really some of the depths of what was going on in our country and dealt with some of the painful stuff too. He did his work during two world wars, really. He often challenged our narrow attitudes of prejudice. You know, and we know what they were then. Guess what? They hadn't gone anywhere. 
They're just they're different. One of his well-known works were what were called the four freedoms. The freedom of worship and the freedom of speech and the freedom from fear and the freedom from want. And the freedom of worship, I think it's about to come up. The freedom of worship was this little kind of snapshot into people who you can see worshiping or praying. And they're from, you know, they're, it's, it's a diverse group. It's men and women. It's different cultures represented there. And in case we don't see it very clearly, he did another work. And this work used to um, be here at Lover's Lane in our office area. It was one that was called Do Unto Others as you would have them do unto you. And the reason it was called that, because it did this depiction of all of these different world religious people. And it reminded us that, um, that, that folk really do have this common entity in that we are identified as those who follow this golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then another one that was real powerful in, in, in the 60s was the one of the little black girl um, in the white dress and she was walking with federal agents. And what Rockwell was trying to do was trying to point to um, the ills of society and the evil of segregation and prejudice, racial prejudice. He entitled it, The Problem We All We Live With. The Problem We Live With. Now, I couldn't really find a good one. This is what I was really fishing for, was a good Mother's Day Norman Rockwell, and I couldn't really find it. The closest thing I got to it was this very familiar painting that was entitled Freedom from Want. And it's this classic Thanksgiving table or Christmas table. And there's this uh, mother or grandmother and she's bringing this big old turkey out. Have you ever seen a turkey that big? And I always wondered, how did they carve that thing at that table that crowded? And, and you know, you see all those heads moving in. You don't see, and, and, and you think, my goodness, the perfect family, right? And, and all of them are smiling and, and they're laughing and they're having a good time. And, you know, it just brings up all this warmth and it also brings up, yeah, where does that exist? Not only do they not make turkeys like they used to, they don't make families like that either, if they ever did. And the truth is that the world has changed and the experience of family has changed. And we may have this image in our mind, might be a Norman Rockwell, of you know that perfect scene, and, and yet we, we know that that perfect doesn't exist. Our families are different. And our families have a lot of baggage, most of them, all of them, I would dare say. And today there are single parent families, there are childless families, there are long distance extended families, there are families who operate out of two homes, there are families with two mommies and two daddies. There are multiracial families. There are multicultural and international adopted families. There are families which have been broken by divorce. There are families that struggle with grief. 
There's families that deal with addiction. There's a child or a parent addicted in the family. Now, have I named your favorite family yet? But we know as a church family that all of these families exist. They're all part of who we are, right? And we gather around the Lord's table. Doesn't look exactly like this, but when we gather around it, we know that we come with all of our brokenness, don't we? And we don't come to that table without our confession. And we don't leave that table, hopefully, without an understanding of our forgiveness and of our healing. Mother's Day is a hard day to preach, I'm going to tell you, because there's a lot of emotion surrounding Mother's Day. You know, some of you know you're sitting in it right now. You, you know. I remember preaching in another place years ago, years ago, years ago. And I preached a Mother's Day sermon. It was a traditional Mother's Day sermon. I thought it was a pretty good sermon. And then I got this email. And it started out like this. I'm sure you meant well in your sermon today. You know if you're sure, if it starts out, I'm sure you meant well. You know it's not going to a well place. But did you, did you consider those in the congregation who want children but can't have children? Or my daughter, who just recently suffered a miscarriage? Or the couple who adopted a child, but then the birth mother took the child back? What about single persons or those who choose to remain childless? We had difficulty having children, and I always ran into the same thing on Mother's Day, and I didn't like it. I realize this is something that you can't fully appreciate, but I ask you for more sensitivity in the future. Now, I didn't like that email. But I've kept it a long, long time because she's right. She's right. We may want this day to look a lot like Norman Rockwell, but it looks a whole lot more like email. And we have to get to some place where we can actually claim the fact that we all need healing. You know, two things are very important in working step four and five. And these two things, I believe, are courage and trust of the process. You really can't go through four and five without those two things. They're very, very important. And as addicts, all of us, one of the biggest problems that we have is telling the difference between our responsibility and the responsibility of others. We blame ourselves for catastrophes over which we have no control. Do you do that? Sometimes we heap up shame and guilt on ourselves about things that we just couldn't change. And then the converse is true. We often are in complete denial about how we have hurt ourselves or how we've hurt others. And we just don't want to go there. We over-dramatize minor troubles and we shrug off major problems. And, and if we're not sure what the exact nature of the wrongs 
are, then we don't see the need to go into step five. But if we do, we set ourselves up for healing. This morning, I'm going to confess to you. I'm going to make a confession. Now, when the preacher says he's going to make a confession, everybody wakes up. And the confession I want to make, I've made here before. And it goes way back to some of my earliest childhood memories and experiences. And the reason I'm going to tell them to you again is for this reason. Our human condition and our proneness to failure, moral failures, is, is we all share an equality in that. We also all have that need to confess and that desire for healing. Do you remember when I got my first BB gun? And I need to tell you that my grandmother loved cardinals, redbirds. You know where this is going. And I remember she loved them so much that she had painted pictures of brilliant red-colored redbirds and the little female, you know, not as colorful, but a beautiful kind of tan brown with the orange beak. And it was right over the piano, and there were other paintings of redbirds around. And, and um, there was no question, my, mother, my grandmother, she loved redbirds. We called her Grand. She was my father's mother. And I remember Gran told me when I got my first BB gun, son, there's one thing you should never do. You should never, ever shoot a cardinal. Well, that sounded practical enough, so I shot cans and fence posts and trees and a couple of windows. And, and then one day, a pesky sparrow flew into range. And the sparrow had just left my little calf trough. And he'd been eating the corn out of my calf trough. And, and so, you got it. I shot that sparrow. And when I went over to the sparrow, it was a female red bird. And the first one on the scene was her mate. And he was up in the top of the tree and he was singing this mournful song. And so I got a shovel and I dug a hole and I buried that red bird, that female red bird, as quickly as I could. And I covered it up and he just kept singing the song. And later on that day I went to the ball field and guess what? He followed me there and he was in the top of a tree singing that song. And everywhere I went for the next couple of days, that, that, that cardinal followed me singing that song. I, I would even go out of town and he'd follow me out of town. I knew the experience as a little boy of shame and guilt. I remember sitting on that piano bench with Gran, and there we were in the shadow of the Redbird painting. And we were singing hymns, and you know, hymns do something to you when you're covered up with shame and guilt. And I just confessed to Gran that I shot the little Redbird. I was crying, it was awful. She, she wrapped her arms around me and she said, it's okay. It's okay. I love you. I'm nearly 60 years old and I, 
I still feel her arms. We all need healing. Did I tell you about the camel cigarette I smoked to get into the jackets club? Well, the jackets, this was a little club in my little rural hometown. And, you know, they were the, a little older than, than I was. And there was a bully or two in the group. And, you know, everybody wanted to be with the cool jackets. And they were named jackets because of the yellow jacket insect in East Texas that did no good to anybody. Well, Mom left that day. And she, I was playing in the yard. And she said, now, I'm going to the grocery store. If you're going to stay here, you stay in the yard. I said, oh, yes, ma'am. She left, and guess what? Here they came, the jackets. And the leader came up to me. And he said, Stan, we voted you in. We want you to be a jacket. I said, oh, really? I said, well, what do I have to do? He said, you have to go with us to the clubhouse, but we're going to have to blindfold you because we don't want you to know the, the, the secret way to the secret clubhouse. And I thought to myself, I'm from Chandler. I know everything in this town. It's not that big. But they blindfolded me. They took me to the clubhouse. They took the blindfold off. I said, oh yeah, I think I know where we are. And then the leader had this little camel cigarette. You know, the kind without a filter. Said the initiation is you have to smoke one of these. I said, oh really? That doesn't sound like a tough deal. He lit that cigarette and I did what I thought you were supposed to do with the camel cigarette. And I started coughing like I'd never coughed before. I can still hear the leader say, quick we've got to get him out of here we don't want him to die in the clubhouse they whisked me away and we made it home before mom in the clear Randall free sinned and nobody knew it except the jackets and they weren't going to tell and then mom pulled into the driveway she took one look at me. You know how mothers are? She said, what on earth is wrong with you? And to those simple words, I just started crying my eyes out. I confessed. Here come those arms. It's all right. It's okay. I love you. I'm sure in both cases I got reprimanded, reprimanded, but I don't remember that. All I remember is the healing. Now, I do want to say this morning that steps four and five are important. And every 12-stepper in here knows that you don't do step five with your mama. It needs to be a counselor, a pastor, a confidant, someone who can have a little bit of a distance, and it's not your mama. But it still goes to show that some of our earliest human needs are for confession deal with the shame and guilt and to experience the healing James got it therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other bring God into this 
so that you may be what? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the good news is that confession to each other via step four and five plus prayer equals healing. And may healing be your gift at your family table. May healing be so in your marriages and in your relationships, in your extended families, and in our church family. May the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know something funny? I can still hear that red bird in my backyard in Dallas. But it doesn't remind me when I hear him much about my sin as it reminds me of my forgiveness my healing let the red bird sing but I hadn't smoked a camel cigarette since then (laughs) 